Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is an environmental communicator who advocates for the natural world through work and play. Her debut novel, The Best Part of Us, has received six national and international literature awards and more than 225 top reader rankings for its ability to immerse readers in a breathtaking natural world and tell an engaging story. She earned a bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of Missouri, a master's degree in environmental education and international water policy from the University of Michigan, and a certificate in fiction writing from Stanford University. She enjoys hiking, kayaking, sailing, skiing, and gardening, the wonder of surprise, and the optimism that nature's beauty always provides. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Sally Cole Meesh. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Sally, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? Well, as your outline kind of summarized, I have been a writer all my life. I went to college soon after Watergate, way back in the 70s, and was so impressed with you know how we discovered all of that through journalism and, and finding, seeking out the truth. Uh, and so I became a journalist and it was in the late seventies, early eighties, where I started getting a lot of, uh, assignments for environmental things, you know, the clean water act passed in, in, um, 1972 and the clean air act and all these things. We suddenly started realizing what we were doing to our world. And so I became very intrigued with it and realized I really didn't know the science behind it. So I went back to grad school and uh, living in the Great Lakes region in Michigan, I uh, focused on water and then moved into environmental policy and communications work for the rest of my career. But it's always been a focus primarily on writing. And what really took me um, into, I had not written any fiction of any kind until um, I my son was getting ready to go off to college, late life baby, and you know, only son going out, only child going off to college. And I thought, okay, I need a new challenge. So even though I'm working full time and everything, I I um, just by happenstance saw the the uh, application for a Stanford uh, online writing master certificate program, and applied and got into that and did that for three years. And by the end of that program, I had. Uh, a first draft for this book. 
So it was, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting process, but um, I never, that was never really a bucket list goal of mine to write a book, but I have to say it's been one of the most challenging and rewarding things I've done in my life. Well, I think whatever led you to the environment and water is, is so important because I think that's the most significant issue of our future. Um, I've learned that, especially living in Texas and the droughts and yeah. watching wells fail and, and watching our water sources dry up and our aquifers, you know, being so overcome by so many people moving here. So water issues are going to be with us for a long time. Yes, absolutely. Well, once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to use a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I ended up using a hybrid press. She writes press. I did, uh, you know, I went through an extensive process of friends and beta readers, editing and reviewing. I went through 11 drafts of my final two chapters, wanting to make sure that everything made sense and was clear and, um, I think I I probably queried maybe I you know I did the research because I was looking obviously for environmentally focused agents um, there weren't many and really at the time this was 2018 and you know we were getting to that point where all of the publishing houses were combining together and you know became much more about what's marketable and. It wasn't a focus as much until COVID of as far as having environmentally related books. Certainly there were where the crawdad sings and that sort of thing came out right around then. But I was really frustrated. I queried, um, as I say, probably 30 or so agents had a couple that wanted full reads, but they just didn't feel they could sell it. And so I was at um, a writer's conference on Kauai which is a wonderful conference. And I went mainly to see a lot of my Stanford cohort alums. And I met Brooke Warner, who's the publisher. She writes press at a cocktail party. She asked me what my book was about. And she said, well, send it to me, send the manuscript. And a month later I signed with them. It just made so much sense to be able to be with a publisher that supporting women writers that was independent that I could have a, a very strong hand in how the book looked and felt. And, um, you know, might've been a harder process as far as marketing and that sort of thing. But um, overall, it was an incredibly positive experience. I think even the big five are requiring their authors to do most of their own publicity these days. So I think we're all in the same boat there. Yes, yes. Well, I've interviewed several journalist uh, majors and people who have been in the journalism field, and they talked about the difference in going from writing articles and concise um, pieces of work to writing fiction. Have you found that to be a challenge? It was from the aspect of something that's so magical that you know when you're writing fiction is allowing the characters to take over when you're writing. To me, that's the magic of fiction, writing fiction, right? Is you're just 
you're sitting there and you think this scene is going this way and suddenly off it veers another way. And that took a while for me to get used to. As far as the journalism, however, all of the research that I needed to do, we I had, it's three generations in this book of a family. The grandparents are from Wales. And I chose that intentionally because they're a very nature-based country. And it was one we didn't know much about as far as what we learned about countries in World War II. They immigrated after World War II. And so I wanted to have a country that I needed to research and learn a lot about. Um, there also are, like your wonderful Thorn Ranch book, there are indigenous, which I did intentionally because indigenous uh, folks live, tribes live up in the region where this book is based. And I've worked with many of them in that region and so wanted to be culturally appropriate and also give the respect and due to their culture, which is very nature-based. Um, and so the research that I was used to doing as a journalist came easily, and that really helped my process because it, I felt like I had the substance there to be able to then have the freedom to write the story, you know, based on something that was tangible. I love that. I received my inspiration for the fifth daughter of Thorn Ranch at Mesa Verde National Park, where all the ruins are there from this ancient people. And I didn't know we had ruins like that in the U.S. And I was just overcome. And they said they don't know why the people left there, whether it was famine or warfare or drought or, or what caused them to leave. And so that really inspired me. What was the inspiration for your book? Well, it was based on my career from the aspect that in the you know early 80s and 90s, we were trying in, as a communicator, I, we focused on trying to scare people into changing their ways, right? Finding out all the horrible things we were doing to the planet. And then slowly we realized, and, and I worked with some uh, professors at Michigan, University of Michigan, who were focusing on environmental psychology. And what we realized is that you really need to help people connect to nature first. And once they recognize and value it in their lives, then they will work to protect it. Then they will act, then they will start to recycle, then they will start to conserve water, then they will do the things that are necessary to help us change our practices and protect our earth. So. Um, the, these studies were amazing as far as showing the, the difference of, for example, in a prison or a school, if someone can look out a window and actually see not just grass, but also trees, any kind of plants, um, the sky, those sort of things, their level of stress goes down exponentially. And so I started to think, how could I write a book where nature is as much a character as the people in it and where their connections and their best intentions towards nature um, are challenged. And they have to each individually and collectively decide what's the best part of them, what's most important to them as far as their family and nature and the place where they want to be. Well, that certainly makes sense. 
We mentioned the challenges of publicity. Do Have you found anything that worked or that didn't work to promote the book? Oh, wow. It was, it's such a learning process, isn't it? As you say, we all have to do it now and it makes it a very expensive hobby, doesn't it? To publish a book. I found because I was releasing the book right at the height of COVID in September, 2020, I was able to learn to some, from some of the She Writes Press authors that came before me in terms of how they altered. So I switched to an online book launch. I was lucky to have an environmental group that I had worked with quite a bit in Northern Michigan for Love of Water Flow. They hosted my launch for me. And so I focused on book clubs and I've done over 65 uh, so far. Yeah, it's it's been a lot, but it's I uh, I've sent information to a lot of organizations and groups that I've served on boards for, I've been a member of and that sort of thing. And I've been thrilled with the response and then word of mouth just keeps going and friends and that sort of thing. I've done speaking engagements uh, and that has been a, a, such a joy for me because everyone reads a book differently, right? We all read from our own perspectives. So it's been so lovely to hear people's viewpoints about the story and for them to tell me about their connections with nature and special places. I know for us up in the Great Lakes, everyone has a summer cottage that they want to go to. Water is so important to them. You know, you, Texas has its own beauty and it's, you know, and it's wonderful to see that range of different ways that you guys um, appreciate your land as well. So that has really helped me. I have done some social media ads on Facebook and um, some other podcasts and that sort of thing. But I really enjoy the face-to-face -face or screen-to-screen -screen interaction with readers themselves. That's been my, my real joy. I think that when you have an underlying theme that's important, like the environment, then you have a platform to stand on and to speak from even beyond your, your book. Your book is kind of like a calling card that will open the door for you to be able to talk about the issues. And then not all people who write fiction have that platform. So that certainly is, is bound to open some doors for you. But 65 book clubs, how, how did you find them? Um, well, as I say, one organization that I belong to in, in college, a sorority, um, they were nice enough to send things out to alumni groups. And so I you know, did a lot of those around the country. Um, the book won the 2021 Canadian Book Club Award for Best Fiction. And so tons of book clubs across Canada, uh, some of them I've been able to reach um, I've done, um, events at different independent bookstores around the Great Lakes region. And then, you know, people have come up and said, oh, would you meet with our book club? You know, friends, it's just been a variety and it's, it's, I haven't intentionally marketed that way, but it's just how it's turned out. And it's been really fun. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the passages you've brought to share today and then read from your book so we can hear your tone and voice. Okay. Uh, so Beth is the protagonist. She's the youngest child of three in a three generation family. 
And um, for in spite of best intentions, the worst of outcomes occur and they are forced to leave their lake and island. And many years later, she gets up the guts to go back <clears throat> and see what she can discover. So this is in chapter seven, the last chapter, when she first goes back to the lake. Her body moves in sync with the breeze, weaving through the old growth forest of birches, basswoods, cedars, and pines surrounding the trail. Her memory of each turn and protruding rock reborn with every step. The air tastes damp as she folds into the deep shade, the path springing under her sneakers. Even after 14 years, her right hand instinctively rises at the trail's first curve to push away the cedar branches, still demanding attention. Her thighs know to lift higher to climb two stands of boulders, her feet stepping on the same beige plateaus and squared edges as they did when she was 12. She smiles as she inhales the pungent scent of maidenhair ferns that edge the last large rocks before the trail returns and laughs as she pulls the top off the tallest frond and picks blueberries from the same bushes that were her grandmother's favorite stash, the ones she raced to every July to get the biggest bunches before the squirrels and deer. The fruit's energy bursts in her mouth and mixes with the fern's slight tang. Her heartbeat quickens as the trail's angle turns steep and she passes the spot where she'd slipped and sliced her calf in the storm. She reaches for the smooth silver beach and white birch's curled bark to pull her along and stops to hug the wide trunk of the rare chestnut tree still holding court in the middle of the path. Hello, old friend, she whispers, grateful for the break to catch her breath, inhale the aroma of pine, fir, and cedar into her heart and hear the chatter and caw of gray jays and gulls floating across the morning sky. Beth jogs as the trail levels out and the last turn beckons, when the darkness and quiet of trees and trail give way and the world opens up before her once again. Her, her chest pounds with longing and fear. As she passes the last pine, the rush of light, color, and open air blind her senses, paralyze her legs. She has forgotten the intensity of the view from the top of Lindy's Peak. The expansive sky and every shade of blue pressing against the horizon to meet the lake's even deeper hues with a million sparklers popping across the water from the morning sun. She leans forward to look over the edge. A smaller eagle's nest is still perched against the cliff's lone tree, against the same cascade of rocks she knows by heart. Everything she needs to remember who she is and used to be stands in front of her, still strong and true. Her heart stills, her breathing calms. That's beautiful, Sally. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. You can tell that you're both a hiker and a journalist from all those beautiful de descriptions. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, it was interesting. One of the things in the Stanford program was, you know, whether it's prod or characters or setting or whatever, to pick something that you know very well. And so because my book was going to be nature-based, obviously the setting for me is something I'm you know, I can, I can close my eyes and feel it and smell it and taste it. So that was pretty easy for me. And I love the generational pull uh, back to our homelands. You know, someone once said you can't go home again, but I think we can. And I think it's very poignant when we do. Yes. Yes. And isn't that what we're all seeking is to find our own home.
Do you have any other books in you? You know, I've contributed to a lot of nonfiction books. Um, and I think I have one more in me for right now. I've been doing a lot of work um, back in the environmental field. I was one of the contributors to the recent um, IPCC climate change report was the final one of six. And so I've kind of been pulled back into that world. But um, I, yeah, I think I have one more in me. But I also am not someone, as you can tell from my bio, I'm not someone to be able to sit very long. So I retired three months before this book came out and it's been a lot of sitting. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hesitant to spend a lot of time sitting right now. I'd like to keep moving while I can, right? <laughs> I feel the same way and I try to get out and do something outside every day, whether it's working on the ranch or riding my bike. And it just makes us feel so much better about our environment and our self when we can, when we can be outside. Yep. It's amazing how even just, you know, going out in our backyard can help to revive our spirit. What does riding success look like to you? Oh gosh. Um, you know, it's been nice to see the, the, the um, positive ratings and all that sort of thing. Uh, but really, it's, it's, I go back to the readers, I, you know, that this book is resonating with people, that they understand the family dynamics that take place and the struggle that really all three children, Beth is just kind of an example, the other two are, are actually go through a real process of of coming to terms with what's really important to them as well. So I think just the joy of having readers show me the excitement and that the story touched them in some way and helped them reconnect and rethink about their connections with nature. But also, um, which I'm sure you have as too, is just the joy of writing itself. I get one of your questions, suggested questions was, you know, is, is it a, is it draining or is it energizing for you? And for me, writing as, as our ages advance, it helps give me such confidence that my brain can still operate at a level that I feel like I can write something that's worthy of anyone else reading it. And also, um, it gives me an amazing sense of calm to just go back to words and, and, and to have that joy of that connection of description and reasoning and, and finding truth. I think that's very important. And I am, am I'm interviewing people in their seventies, eighties and nineties, and they're still writing beautiful work. So I do think that getting your thoughts down on paper has to help with our mental uh, capacity. <laughs> I, I hope that's the case. Although I find myself using the same word over and over and I have to delete a lot of the same words. So maybe I'm losing my descriptive nature. I don't know. Oh no. Based on listening to your book, I'd say not. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I think that 
my first book, you're, you're talking about readers who find our books. And, you know, when someone finds our book and they're not a family friend or are a member of our own family and they love our work, it, it's so encouraging and so inspiring to me. My first book had a thread of memoir running through it because I'm an adopted child from a maternity home in New Orleans. And I had other adoptees. I had adoptive parents. I had birth mothers reach out to me after they read the book. And that, that certainly, you know, just awe inspiring to me to have people find it and to tell me their own stories as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it's very fulfilling. And to feel like you've been able to touch someone else like that, it's totally different than issue based stuff where you're able to pass an environmental law or something like that. That's, it's great, but the results are so way, way decades down in the future. And to have someone say that your words touch them, it's just, it is, it's amazing feeling. It's like planting these trees. We'll never get to see them um, grow into the, the size they will, but but someone will, maybe our children and grandchildren or great grandchildren will. Yes. And that's, you know, that's so important. Indigenous um, tribes, the Ojibwe that are so prominent in my book and live in the region where this, the setting is, you know, it's looking seven generations ahead that all your actions should be looking seven generations. And when you think of that, that's wow. We need to plant a lot of trees. <laughs> It's very powerful, and I hope that our children are being taught to look that far in advance. You know, sometimes I worry that that we're all just thinking about the here and now. Yeah, and that not that also part of the reason I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, social media is, is fun and helpful, but it's also I don't know how much I want to support it because that is taking people away from I see people walking their dogs and they're holding their phones, looking at their phones. And I think, oh my gosh, look up, listen to these birds, see these trees blooming. You know, you're missing so much. Or around the dinner table, instead of talking to each other, <laughs> my, gr my grandchildren will text their mother from upstairs, you know, instead of coming down the stairs. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> what, what does your family think about your uh, new career as a fiction writer? They've been so supportive. It's, as I say, my, I started the Stanford program when my son went off to college and he was ending it just as I was, he, um, as I was signing for it to be published. And my husband was so wonderful because I'm a deadline person as a journalist. And so I would write a lot late at night or I, I needed my commutes to and from work to really work things through in my mind, scenes and what's happening. And, and then I would disappear usually by 10 o'clock at night and work from 10 to one, maybe not every night. But uh, the other part is my son played um, division one baseball, which is very intense. And so we'd get in the car on a Friday morning and for 18 hours or however, since we're from the North, we're driving South all the time to Texas and other Southern states. And my husband would drive for 18 hours straight. And it was perfect for me, however, because I'd sit in the passenger seat and I'd write 
and I edit and I do all these things because what else am I going to do sitting in a car, right? But he was wonderful. He kept doing all the driving and whatever. And he, I'd ask him questions. What do you think about this or that? And um, no, they've been, they've been spectacular throughout the whole thing. They, they're very um, excited for me and yeah, it's been wonderful. Sally, as always, our last interview question is, our writers over 50 are quite unique. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? I would say, first of all, if you're writing over 50, congratulations. Uh, Be so proud of what you're doing. I think we all have life experiences and lessons that we've learned that are worth sharing. And... um, We have a sense of um, perhaps patience with ourselves that we're willing to get to the real meat of what we're trying to say. At least that's what I find in older authors, what they've written. Um, So I would say, go for it, be strong, be proud and, and have fun. It's an amazing ride. It really is. And that's why I call it writing in life's sweetest third. So I just appreciate your being with us here today. You've had such a wonderful and are having such a wonderful career and making such an impact and being an advocate for nature and for our environment. So thank you for that. And we're happy to now say that you're one of our authors over 50. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.